This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Alan and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I'm Greg from Studio One Design, and here's my co-host, Alan from Pixel Partners. How are you, man? I am awesome, Greg. It is a beautiful, sunny Tuesday here in Sydney. Same in Melbourne. I have to throw it in. It's, it's been a beautiful week here all week in Melbourne as well. Yeah, look, it's been beautiful weather, I think, Australia-wide. We shouldn't complain. Sorry to all our listeners over in the US who's still in winter. Um, mate, what, what have you been up to? Well, actually, I'm planning a trip to the US and uh, going to San Diego. I just had a look at the, the weather in San Diego this morning and they're around low 20s in Celsius. So, it's yeah, it's not really that uh, that cold over there. But, you know, they're closer to the equator. But, yeah, so I'm just planning that trip at the moment. Uh, I leave in a week and a half. What have you been up to, buddy? Mate, at the moment, I'm looking at trying to you know make my office a little bigger so i'm you know talking to builders and things like that which is a little bit frustrating but it'll be exciting when it's done cool Uh, hopefully build a new studio a new photo studio as well as a new office for me which would be great Man, that's excellent. We've got a very special guest, haven't we, buddy? Mate, listen, I'm really excited about this topic. We are talking about mobile apps today. And the guest that we've got on, he is just a rock star. I mean, he has got so much knowledge and experience when it comes to apps. And a lot of it from doing it the hard way and, and failing and putting together a formula that works. So should we... Should we get him in? Yep, let's do it. All right, today we have a special guest, Jared Robinson. So welcome, Jared. Thank you for having me. I'm feeling pretty magical. <laughs> I love it. It's a real magic design podcast. So, Jared, well, You know what, Jared? Thank you for that. You're the first person that's actually acknowledged our cool name. That's true. That's I, very true. It's a, it's a very cool name, very apt. I love it. It's <laughs> Almost sounds like app there, but which is cool, um, which is a nice segue because Jared was a PE teacher before moving to the online world of creating an income. And now Jared has a successful business. He is a world leading authority in helping PE teachers with online training and events over at the pegeek.com. Plus, he creates apps for small businesses at theappmatch.com. Jared also has connectedpe.com, the teacherpreneur.com and probably many other websites <laughs> based on his history. So Jared's journey is a fa- it's fascinating to say the least. So before we discuss the power of an app for small business, I think it's important that you understand that Jared didn't exactly have a smooth or fast transition from having a job to making money online. In fact, I don't think I've seen somebody start more revenue streams than what Jared has. So Jared, can you take us through your journey of your failures and successes to how you have ended up to where you are? today mate sure definitely i'm just wondering are you ever not a pe teacher like i think i probably still have forever going to grasp onto that to some extent but it probably because you know that was my first major big passion and it still is really because it's at the heart of all the stuff that we do online now Mm -hmm. um and you know i started as a general pe teacher making students do beep tests and all of those things that you may be familiar with yeah my daughter loves them (laughs) Some love them, some hate them. But, you know, I just, when I was doing all that stuff in the PE classroom, I had this this real passion for technology. And you know, all of a sudden, I discovered blogs and I started making a, a blog about how to use technology in PE. And I had one reader, and that was my mum. 
at the time. Um, at least she said she was a reader. I, I don't really know. <laughs> and eventually sort of Twitter and social media came in around that time in 2008. So what do you do? You start sharing the stuff that you're writing about on social media um, very early days. And then eventually, you know, all of a sudden you've got an audience. And three years after the fact, when I'd just been writing really for myself, it turned out that I actually had an audience of people and they were coming to the site to read about what I was doing with technology. And and that's when I sort of started thinking about how you can make a product and have people pay you for your attention or their attention and so forth. And uh, it sort of flowed from there. So it took three years to make your first dollar online? Yeah, it was about 37 cents. <laughs> that I, so, you know, it took a couple of sales to eventually um, scale up. But I, I basically was writing these articles for this magazine and this magazine went bankrupt, I think. And the editor who I'd been relaying with said, well, you've got these 10 articles that um, you've, you've written and no one's ever going to see them. Why don't you just put them on your blog? And, you know, I started thinking, well, they make a lot of sense to be in an ebook. So I made an ebook. And um, I remember designing my cover, my front cover for that. And unfortunately, if you type in using technology in PE, the front cover from that very first ebook appears. And it's not something that you would want representing your brand at all. Um, <laughs> Google funny. doesn't remember, it remembers everything, doesn't it? It does indeed, yeah, yeah. And oh, we will check that out because, yeah, we're going to dive <laughs> deeper into the design. And lately you've really been investing in your brand as far as design and we'll talk about design and apps and that sort of thing. But, the, yeah, and that was just an ebook. But you create a lot of other things, Jared, from T-shirts yeah. to comic books to music albums with jingles. And I and made that mistake of thinking that, you know, more of more things equaled more income. So, yep. you know, when I made that first ebook, I, I remember getting like one sale and then 10 sales and 100 sales. And I thought, oh my God, what if you made like two ebooks? So, you know, I quickly made another ebook. And then I discovered um, the world of mobile apps in 2011. And I made my first app and the same process. I made $10. What about if you made a second app and a third? And I just kept doing that with every possible thing that you could create a product for was so t-shirts oh. yeah okay but were the apps all related to pe everything was related to that one audience right. which i guess is that that's a good element of it i wasn't just going into completely different fields but you know one week they might get offered an app and then the very next week i might have sent them um a t-shirt offering so it was just it was it was pretty crazy and they probably couldn't keep up and um, after you know two or three years of that, I probably couldn't keep up myself with all the things that we were creating. Mate, I'm glad you simplified. I mean, we often talk about on the podcast, you know, simplification and finding what you're really good at, and you and you've landed in the app space. And I find this really, really interesting. You know, most people think apps; they think something that's going to tell you the weather or tell you, you know, your stocks or or you know, a chat app, this kind of thing. But you know that the world of apps has another side to it for small businesses. And you know, it would be great if you could just sort of run us through, you know, why maybe an app might be good for a small business and, and maybe what they could use it for. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity and i think one of the biggest things that sets those people apart who do have an app against those that don't is you know you're moving into this platform that has a high 
sort of brand connection with Apple and Google. So automatically, if you have an app, then you defer a lot of your brand from the, these established entities. You know, you get to co-align with those two places, which I don't think people realize how powerful that can be. So if you're looking at a competitor and, and one has an app and one doesn't, like maybe the person who has an app has a bit of an edge that you can explore. So I think that's like step number one. The other step, obviously, is that you know it's there's a lot less competition in the app stores. So if you're searching for a solution to something and you happen to use the app store search, as people do, it's one of the biggest search engines, you're, you're coming up with a lot less results than if you search for the same thing uh, in the crowded marketplace of Google. And, you know, we put that in, when we found that, we just went hard on dominating that phys ed keyword in the app store. And quite literally, if you searched at our peak, when we had the most number of apps on the store, you would find all top 10 results were ours and they were coming up and, um, you know, obviously that's, that's generating a lot of uh, engagement in what we were doing. And so they're the first two things, like getting in front of the right people and, um, you know, this brand sort of connection with the big players, Apple and Google. I love that because it is an authority building piece, you know, to have an It app. can be, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's it, it's a huge authority building piece from the point of view that, like you said, you know, if people are comparing you to somebody that doesn't have one, then they're going to automatically assume that you're the authority in the space, which can obviously lead to, to more business. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of I'm just trying to work out, like, for my business, if I, you know, and I've discussed this on a, on a few episodes ago with Al on, a, on our podcast, how it can relate to a small service business and how it would benefit a business, you know, that just provides a service and has a, we obviously have a podcast and a blog and things like that. Like how would the average small service business benefit from having an app? Well, communication is pretty powerful throughout different app channels. And, you know, if you look at your device right now, I'm certain that you, there are apps that you engage with that keep you alerted in real time when things happen. Mm -hmm. So if you're offering a service where there was statuses and communication and updates, um, I can sort of imagine that, that that communication element could be, you know, greatly enhanced through the app channel. So imagine if you were getting emails from someone and you could sort of have, at the same time be alerting them to um, what's happening with their the status of their project through the app uh, and then sort of engaging them in that in a really simple way as opposed to then requiring them to go in their email inbox and reply to something and, you know, you can move to a different type of communication channel. But then around that you could have all sorts of other um, opportunities like you mentioned, the podcast and you know, bits and pieces. So, I mean, I think there are opportunities for all business types, but it, it definitely um, favors people in certain areas. But one thing that we did across our our sort of, when we're at our peak, we had 100 apps, we were building, <laughs> which is pretty mental, but we were building in some cases apps that were supportive to the type of audience that we wanted to gather. So if in, you know, in your case scenario, you want people who have, you know, small businesses and um, maybe they're online, you know, what type of apps supported them so that you could amass an audience? And it maybe wouldn't be directly an app that was your brand, but it was like a supportive tool for your band, brand. Does that make sense? Mm. So you've like, what example, we built a weather app for PE teachers. And you're like, well, why would you do that? Like, what's what's the purpose of having a weather app? when there's all these other weather apps on the store, well, 
we were able to make the weather app for PE teachers. And who do you think we assembled as our audience so that, you know, we could communicate with them in the future? We got PE teachers using the app. We got their email addresses, and then we we're able to use that as an inroad to all the other stuff that we did. Yeah, so nice. It was yeah, it was a it was a way to almost work as a lead gen. Mate, Jared, that's absolute gold, and I, and I want to plant a seed for our listeners because you know this this concept of the app store and the and what's happening within within apps today has has occurred in the past over and over and over again and you know so many businesses get into these things a little bit too late i mean you know you go back to the internet and websites right and there's still you know horrific stati- statistics of how many small businesses don't have a website right you know the use of email like how many businesses in the last couple of decades were just so late to migrate to doing all their communication electronically. Social media platforms are flooded today, uh, yet not that long ago, there were a lot of businesses leveraging this direct communication. You know, in Facebook today, it's about all about, you know, messenger advertising and, and communication. And, you know, apps kind of roll a lot of the benefits that all of these different platforms have into one place potentially for your business. You know, communication, news feeds. I mean, I love your example of the the weather app specifically for PE teachers because, you know, they want to feel like this is designed for them and, and people may be sitting there listening going, oh, but why would you do that? And, and I got it straight away. Imagine if, if I was a PE teacher and instead of having to, you know, put in my suburb, I could do it by the school location that I work at or locations because, I mean, you have... I'm assuming that there are plenty of teachers that work in multiple locations and uh, as casuals and things like that. So you can take something that already exists and tweak it and customize it for your specific audience to deliver value, right? And we always talk about that. We did over and over, like tweaking the, the, the apps that were already available in a generic sense, but sort of targeting them with a, with a feature set that was relevant to PE teachers. I read recently about a somebody who had a huge app in the US, and this is a bit dated now, the article was dated, but it was it was talking about basically a hair frizziness app, which basically is a weather app. It was telling them the level of humidity and whether or not the women's hair should be tied up or out because it was going to go frizzy because of humidity. So, <laughs> you know, you've got to think a little laterally when, you, when you're coming up with, with these concepts. Jared, if you could start this whole process again and not design 100 apps, where, where do you think you might start? Like, let's give, you know, your niche, um, your, your customers as an example, and maybe inspire our listeners to, to think a little laterally on, on how they might get started. Well, I probably wouldn't build 100. That was the, the ADHD element of me spinning out. So that, that would be the first thing. There's obviously an 80-20 of this that you can um, focus in on. So, you know, what are the core problems that the audience has that could be solved through the use of a mobile application? And, you know, if I looked at my audience, there's a recurring thing that we noticed and that was present, you know, when I started teaching and, and it's still present now. And I'd focus in on building a solution around that rather than, you know, and I probably could have dedicated way more resources on making that app even more epic now and it probably would still be the dominant app that people use and that was an assessment app like it was the main thing that all PE teachers need to do which is assess students we had an app that was doing that it was quite popular 
it won some awards. But because we focused on, you know, building too many apps, that app eventually sort of, you know, got outcompeted by others and people sort of migrated away. So if I just literally focused in on, well, what was the main thing that teachers needed uh, and that was, you know, assessment, I could have probably made an even better app. Does that make sense? So rather than spreading myself too thin. Yeah, it does make sense. So, but you've just mentioned like, you know, for an existing audience, you, you know, you ask them what their problems are and challenges, et cetera, and you could solve them. But what if you mm-hmm. don't have an audience? Could you still use an app as a lead magnet to build an audience? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at the app store listings, there is a realm of people who've never had an audience, but now they get a pride and place in the front of, you know, thousands of, I can't remember the, the full number of people, but, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who have one-click access to download whatever it is that you're offering. So mm. uh, it is a great opportunity to capture leads for free apps. You know, you, if you go and look at the app store listings, the the ones that generate the most revenue are free apps. That's a pretty crazy thing, isn't it? But they use the whole in-app purchasing process and, you know, they tend to generate the most revenue themselves. So if you were sitting there and you had a great idea that potentially could solve a problem for um, people and you had no audience to that point, putting it onto the app store could absolutely be the point where you create an audience from. However, we tend to avoid doing that because um, I've had a few big lessons doing this and yeah. I built a couple of um, video games in, in my ADHD um, period of time and and I thought that if I built the video game and the video game was a fun game that would be enough but unfortunately when I listed it up you know no one ever found it and three people downloaded it in its entire history and and that was that what was that game it was called bug drop and it was the ultimate flop from a you know realization that there's a big shortcut if you have an audience already it's not an essential tool, but you know, if, you, if you're trying to um, use it for lead generation in a completely unknown space uh, and you've got no audience that you can leverage at the beginning, it's going to be a bit more challenging. Mm. So potentially try and survey your audience from the start so you can work out their challenges and build an app around that potentially. Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. So you know, if you were working in the, the space of you know, helping people, let's say you had a business and you know, you're helping people be more efficient and effective. Well, then maybe there's a way for you to create a tool that does a certain part of that. And then you can use your audience to download that initially. And that creates more awareness for people who don't know about you. And then you can use that for lead generation. So all the apps that we had major flops with were in spaces where we had no business to be in. And we had no audience that we could initially generate attention Um, on that app with now that doesn't mean that you can't go from not having an audience to having an app but it's just going to be a lot more difficult that whole you know put an app on the store and just all of a sudden you've got a million users that's sort of past now and you know much more niche and using the audiences that you have is where we're getting success i think that there's a lot of small businesses out there that could you know leverage their existing customers and the app might not necessarily be lead generation i mean we've been talking lead generation but it could also be growing your market so so standing out 
from the rest of the the customers. I mean, look, I just thought of an example there. You know, one of one of the one of the things that I've loved about one of the trade print facilities that I have used for well over a decade now was that they had this fabulous online portal where I could log in and see the status of my print job at any given time. And I was just sitting there thinking, why don't they have an app today that instead of me having to log in just sends me notifications as it runs through the stages of the production process right through to dispatch with a a tracking number and a link into the the courier service right this is exactly what domino's does with their pizza delivery absolutely you know and i've raved for years about their wonderful online system and if they developed an app i would become an even bigger raving fan. So, um, look, that just sort of brings me to to a, a question. You know, people are, are so focused at the moment about getting their websites right because everybody's a little behind on this, right? They maybe had a website, they're improving it, and the big talk is, you know, mobile responsive websites. What's, what's the key difference between having a good mobile responsive website and having a mobile app? Yeah, I think for, for starters... You definitely need to have a mobile responsive website, as you would all agree. But there's some things that a mobile responsive website simply can't do that, you know, you're a, a, an app that connects with the actual phone itself can do. And that would be, you know, obviously you can send push notifications to people um, who have an app installed. You can't do that just via a website um, yet. You can on Android, um, but you can't do it on iOS. I don't think you will be able to. But um, other things that you can do, like if you have an app, then you can integrate with location. So now you can, you know, use location of that person and, you know, use some marketing related to that. And all the other metrics that and all the other sensors that are in an app become accessible. Mm, So obviously like GPS and the camera and all of these other things that if you simply have a website don't really get to be factored in if the person's just browsing on their phone. So the experience can change, you know, dramatically just by sort of, you know, leveraging a native app that, um, you know, you can build your business around. You could create a different experience. Mm, absolutely. I have a little question for you, Jared, right? I, I, look, I'm a little bit of a, a futurist and, I, and I've, I've loved watching the, the development of mobile devices and you know things that i noticed today on my latest iphone are things like the iphone predicting what i'm doing right so it knows to pin my location when i park my car right i have a a regular weekly appointment that doesn't have an address in my calendar yet when i get in the car and i turn on the key it offers me the time to that location because I go there every single week at that time. Do you think that mobile apps are going to be able to tap into that sort of thing for audiences where the the phone is going to start offering them up the apps based on their usage in the near future? I mean, that's already happening now. So the, the, the usage and data that's collected natively through a phone developers can sort of plug and play into that. Um, And I think you gave a couple of good examples there about directions and it predicting where you're going to go. Those sort of inroads developers can build stuff into. And, um, you know, you you just imagine some of the opportunities that can arise there if you have a business and you have a native app and they notice that you have driven past their store and all of a sudden you can receive an alert that has a discount for that exact moment that you go past the store. You know, that's not possible 
just from a website alone, but if you had a, a native app that was able to access some of that data that the phone has already, then you know we open up this huge opportunity, just completely different channels that you know we don't really have now. That is exciting, man! Wow, yeah, the the opportunities are, are endless with with an app, really, and I guess with AI coming into the play more and more these days. The, yeah, it's going to be endless what you can do with an app, you know, in the near future. So, well, just aug- augmented reality. You know, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, thinking about if you're running a design business, and you know, all of a sudden, you typically send proofs home to people, and let's imagine they print these things out, or whatever it might be. I mean, you could use augmented reality to showcase these things in real environments, yeah. like ikea are doing now with their furniture like you could go into ikea or you can just sit in your lounge room and use the ikea app and augmented reality to place the sofa where it's going to be and then walk around it as if it's actually there so yeah i mean these sort of opportunities become really possible um on, on devices of today yeah love it man yeah it's very exciting the future so and all that comes down to the experience within the app so i imagine design is important in an app and how important would you say design is well we found this out the hard way our very first app we ever built we sort of ignored the the whole design part as long as it was functional yeah that's all i really thought was important Uh, turns out it wasn't because people couldn't find buttons and they, you know, would send us emails saying, I thought, you know, you could do this. And I'm like, well, you can, but it's 10 layers deep <laughs> inside the, the menu. So that whole user experience thing is super important. And having good functional design is, you know, they sort of go hand in hand. When we finally realized that, we were able to create this really nice brand on the App Store, which is referred to as the Easy Teacher Brand. And it was a whole series of apps that were like easy assessment, easy portfolio, easy attendance. And you can go and see those. They still function today. Awesome. But they have this unified brand experience that, you know, if you have used one, then you have a familiarity around the others. So it was good from that perspective. And and it also meant that these early emerging teachers who were just getting familiar with technology were able to sort of use it well because it was thought out in a, in a really simple manner so simplicity is key make sure that the design was simple so people could get the result that you were looking for uh, and we and we've sort of taken that one philosophy which is simplicity into the apps that we're now building for for small businesses they're they're just very simple they do what they say they do podcast accesses the podcast player blogs access the blogs you know simplicity making sure that people get to the result that they've um that they're sort of hoping they get to, not mm. confusing. Yeah, because with web design, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, people are used to navigating a certain way on a website. And if people, you know, some designers try to be way too tricky. And I imagine it's the same with an app. You don't want to try and reinvent the wheel of how to use an app. You want it to be intuitive based on, you know, what they're used to, even from the, the bigger apps out there. Yeah, well, the app will give you a whole framework of guidelines that sort of dictate how you're meant to use typical navigation and um, and so forth. And and they will often reject apps if you sort of fall outside of these guidelines or try and employ something that happens um, oh, in good. a web web experience that you know doesn't necessarily translate into the mobile world. So there is this whole different 
yeah, making sure that you follow what they say and which can be a bad thing at the same time. But is it just Apple or all the all the platforms? All of them. So they've all got design principles that you need to sort of adhere to. Like you can't just go and throw any old navigation in the app and expect that that's going to get passed. Are they all similar to each other? They share common similarities, but um, there are some you know differences right. around it, particularly when um, everything moved to the whole flat design principles. You know, when when they went from um, how they were in like iOS six yeah. to eventually becoming flat. You know, if you tried to then do something that was like realistic, can't remember what the the term was, skeuomorphism, I think it was, where like you would try and mimic real world items. Mm. So the typical thing that people would do was if they were designing, you know, an app, they would make it look like an actual notebook. So it would have like wooden embezzlements. And yeah. so that's that's how it used to be. And if you tried to take those principles now and put them into these flat design style apps, you're just going to get flat out rejected. And sort of it, they look terrible as well. And so sticking to those those guidelines is is, is definitely um, the smartest thing you know I'm, I'm sitting here in awe listening to your your knowledge and experience of apps because you know we've tinkered with app design for a number of clients who've wanted to sort of create uh, added value for their customers and a lot of the work was just skinning the look and feel of, of the app but there is really so much more that needs to be considered for a business when when designing an app and i highly recommend that you know you find somebody like jared who knows what what they're doing but could you give us a rundown on you know some of the things like you know how to promote the app maybe things like keeping the app up to date you know what what's the cost to get an app what's the cost to run an app i mean i know these are sort of random questions but sort of give us a high level view of of what the what the running costs and and things that might need to be considered yeah, I mean, we offer a service at, at, at the App Match, which is about making that part super easy for you so you don't have to think about the ongoing nature and, um, you know, all the elements of launching an app and, and so forth that typically you would. But when we when we first began, you know, it wasn't uncommon for us to be spending twenty or 30000 on building one app. And, you know, that was a big lesson because sometimes they were successful and other times they were not. And... We at the in the early days we forgot that these things are living, breathing entities that need to be looked after. You can't just sort of like put it out into the world and expect that in a year's time things are still going to be working properly. So yeah, you really do need to have this long-term view of mobile apps as being something that you look after and maintain and ensure that when Apple updates their operating system, that yours works on the operating system. So I think that's what gets a lot of people stuck because they go, oh, hey, I want an app for my business and they, you know, they pay someone to build something and don't really think about what they're hoping to achieve with it and then all of a sudden they realize it's broken and then it's just very easy for them to you know, leave that ecosystem and think that it wasn't successful. But the people who are successful, they've taken this long-term view of it, they've designed something that actually makes sense, like why would your customers use it? And um, they treat it as a long-term game, not this like hypey short-term, you know, how can I show that I'm really cool in front of my audience type <laughs> perspective, which unfortunately some people do and they get smashed in the face when, you know, in three months' time the app no longer works. So it's a long-term game. I'm sure you have a bit of a process to help people 
you know, work out, you know, I'm sure you have a questionnaire, for instance, that would help them understand how to get the most out of the app and, and what they could potentially use it for, right? And I guess another thing that I've noticed with your process is that you start with a framework of an existing app and then we'll customize it to keep the costs really low for the customer, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's been the secret. So, you know, a lot of people have these ambitions to build apps and there are, there are huge opportunities to go the custom path and, like I said, spend 20, 30, 40 more thousand on an app. And, you know, that may be successful and you may, may make that at work. But I think a very the, – the world that we fit in with the app match is helping people bring an app to life that looks good, that is functional, that serves a purpose. And in many cases, it will test whether or not your market responds to the use of, you know, that medium – and then you can scale out to the, you know, the, the fully custom down the road uh, if it so happens to be the case. But what we've found is a lot of the time people realize that what we end up building them is exactly where they'd want to be anyway. So they just get it much more affordably because of the way in which we do it, which is leveraging stuff that has been built before and um, sort of, you know, bringing together a, you know, like a white label version of an app that we could repurpose material for later on, and that brings the cost down by like ten yeah. times just because of that process. And that's how we got a hundred mobile apps out. It wasn't that we started from ground zero on a hundred apps? We would you know, repurpose sixty percent of it, and no one would notice that. But in the background was some of the same stuff being reused. Um, you know, to to get there faster. Cool, man. Could you just run through maybe your top three apps that you've created for small businesses and what the core functions are? So are we talking like from the phys ed world? No, like outside of some that. Some of my apps? Like um, sure. the Merrymaker so Sisters. I think and the Merrymaker Sisters, they had such a big success with the launch of their app. And, you know, they were the typical example of had been quoted the $30,000, $40,000, you know, price point for for making an app and and they nearly rolled the dice on that and they you know were like okay cool great you know this is going to be awesome forty thousand dollars spent on an app must mean that we make forty thousand dollars back straight away on our app but you know i spoke with them and um said no i think you can build this app for more like three test it and see whether or not the market is or has an appetite for this and you know they they were able to launch their app and in the first few weeks return all the investment that they spent getting it built and of course they realize that their audience does love this medium but they've never actually had to move to anything more robust and custom so they've had this way better result than if they'd gone down that process and sort of hoped that they would have they'd still be waiting to get their money back i think yeah and can you customize your apps after they're released that you designed yeah you definitely can so what they've done is now They've seen what they started with and they've made these incremental changes to get to where they are now. So it's still like 80% where it was when we launched it and the rest of it's now like, okay, this is what the audience has wanted. And that's a good thing because it's come from the involvement from their customers as opposed to like these are assumptions, here's $40,000 product, throw it out there and all of a sudden it's unusable because you you never really thought about what people wanted. So starting way more affordable and scaling out has been – what the most successful people have done. We built the the Simple Green Smoothies app as well. Um, they're a big, you know, they do smoothie recipes in the US. Same principle. They wanted the 
the end goal being $40,000, $50,000 app. And no, we start back at the beginning and, and build out that way and they couldn't be happier as well. Man, that's awesome. Jared, that has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm really, really grateful, and I'm sure our listeners are really, really grateful for sharing your knowledge. Before we, we wrap up this episode, if you could, from all your experience, give our, uh, our listeners one killer tip, what would it be? I think it's, you know, definitely think about how you can design something that that solves a problem for your audience. Like, that's the killer. And don't just do an app because you've heard it on this podcast and you've heard a few people talk about it. It's got to solve a problem for someone, like a pain point. It should be not just a Band-Aid solution, but, you know, something that, you know, drives home a result for them maybe and and is quite simple to use. You know, if you, if you go outside of simplicity, I think you're just on a slippery slope to disaster. Uh, and unfortunately, plenty of people do that. I mean, I'm sure you've downloaded an app before that you just, like, give up because it's too hard and... Um, yeah. so simple and it has to do something that people in your audience want to want to do exactly and then test the audience and then potentially grow it later that's scale out yeah, yeah yeah that's awesome well thank you so much jared yeah it's been great having you here buddy and yeah listener i highly recommend you go check out jared's website the appmatch.com and jared how else can people get in touch with you if they have any questions or if they're interested in getting an app for their small business yeah they can head over to facebook or if they're interested in seeing what we do with apps in our PE business, which is like primarily where this stuff is like demoed in the real, you know, use cases, yep. they can head to the pegeek.com and um, have a look at how we use them. Well, thank you, Jared. Thanks so much for being on the Real Magic Podcast, buddy. Speak soon. See you guys. Thanks, Jared. Have a good one, mate. Thanks for listening to the Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.